Monday, December 3rd is our annual gala, Winter in the Garden, and you are invited. Celebrate the season with Heritage Radio Network at the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. It's the one night of the year where you can show your support for HRN while sipping on champagne, hanging out with our hosts, and bidding on one-of-a-kind silent auction items. VIP hour goes from 6 to 7, featuring a tour of the Bonsai Room. At 7, all of our guests can sample bites from some of our favorite chefs. Head to heritageradionetwork.org gala for tickets. This program is brought to you by Juul, sous vide by Chef Steps. Juul takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. What's the hot new ingredient chefs are putting on their menu? Virtual reality on this episode of Tech Bites. Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I am a thousand percent confident that every single one of those people is listening right now to <laughs> Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And today we have a very familiar voice to faithful Heritage Radio listeners. We have Jenny Dorsey, who is a chef, artist, author, and also a host on Heritage Radio Network. She's the co-host of Why Food, which queues up a little bit later today. Thursdays, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is her usual slot. Jenny, thank you for joining us and sitting in the guest seat. Of course. Thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. Um, We are going to talk about virtual reality and augmented reality, which we have not done yet. Surprising, even though the show's been on the air for three years. We're just getting to it just now. She has brought with her um, her collaborator in the VR space, cinematographer Jesse Sperling. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it'll be exciting. He's a visual guy, so radio might be a little little new for him. <laughs> yeah, no one, no one can see you. <laughs> no one can see you. Except for those people. Yeah. Yes, yes, but they can't hear you. Right. He's referring to the plate glass window that gives a view to Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, which is where the Heritage Radio Network studio is located. So before we get started... I want to give a little bit of a shout out for our gala that's happening next week on Monday. What are you doing on Monday night, December 3rd? Are you going to come out to the Brooklyn Botanic Garden and come to our gala and drink delicious wine and cocktails and have amazing food and get to meet me and other Heritage Radio Network personalities? It is our annual fundraiser. It's the end of the year. If we don't raise the money, the radio shuts down. That's basically how it works, people. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. All of the money that keeps the lights on and the mics hot comes from fundraisers, members like you, underwriters, grants, all of that good stuff. Um, So it's important, and it's parting with a cause, and you can bring friends and have a lot of fun, and we will help keep the radio on. And just to make it easier for you all to get there, if you use Tech Bytes, T-E-C-H-B-I-T-E-S, when you buy your ticket at Eventbrite, you can get 10% off. So I hope to see you there. 
Now on back to our usual scheduled programming, which is at the top of every show, we talk about apps, apps we love, new ones we've discovered, old favorites that have been living on the home screen for 10 years. Jenny, you're a pretty tech-enhanced person. Do you have an <laughs> app you like right now? Um, I've been using this for a while, Polar, Polar with two R's at the end um, for photo editing. So not Polar, the heart rate monitor app. Oh, no, I didn't even know. P-O-L-A-R. No. Hmm, maybe I should use that one too. Hmm. But um, yeah, Polar, Polar. Um, yeah, they do really great photo editing. I think I prefer like Visco or some of the other ones, um, Snapseed. I think it just gives you a lot more control over your histograms and the like. So I've been using that a lot. Is it free or freemium? It's or? freemium. So okay. it's mostly free until you want to add certain colors or text or gradients. I actually use it uh, to do a lot of the captions and uh, text for Y Food as well for our Instagram. So. So are you using it primarily for social media or is the quality good enough on your phone editing that you can use it for your production pieces? Mm, social media mostly, but I think you might be able to use it on some of the production pieces. If I mean, you can edit um, and export it as, a, as the file, as an original file. So presumably you could. It just might be a little challenging on your phone. Do you, have a, do you have a lot of memory on your phone to be dealing with all these visual things? No, I just slowly delete things over time <laughs> <laughs> when I get the alerts. <laughs> okay. And I'm assuming you're using that on an iPhone. Mm -hmm. Do we know if it's available for Android also? I believe so. Fantastic. Jesse, do you have an app that you're using a lot right now or that you really love? I, I was going to say a competing photo. I, I was going to say <laughs> Oh, please do. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> but apparently that, that polar is better. So. I mean, I don't know. I we can have competing opinions. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you guys can fight it out after I, I, the break. I haven't tried the other one, to be fair. Uh, it's just another photo editing app. What is it called? Um, it's called Snapseed. That one's full free, right? I don't think it's a premium. I think it is that. full free, yeah. Yeah. I think it's made by Google, if I remember correctly. Oh. Uh -huh. um, but, uh, Could be a plus or minus depending on where you sit. Yeah, depending how you feel about them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a photo editing app has a lot of like simple things you could do with it. It's not terribly deep. I don't use a ton of apps. So, <laughs> so you are a cinematographer. Mm -hmm. And then does that mean that it's really high quality? Is it just easier? Do you have the same sort of professional view of photography as you do for video? Uh, sure. And film? But when I... Yes. Moving pictures. Yes, uh, but usually I wouldn't use I wouldn't use my phone to do to do most other photo things. Um, so mostly I'm in Lightroom or Photoshop. Um, usually working in 35 uh, and scanning to a computer. So most things not done with phone. So as a visual artist professional, mm -hmm. what do you use? images taken with your phone and edited on your phone for like uh, what's the what's the threshold yeah. of acceptability for you uh well they're really good for references they're really good for walking through a space and so taking, note taking visual note taking visual mm -hmm. note taking yeah references if you want to uh um previs you can go into locations and sort of uh there's a lot of different apps i think i have one called cartridge uh where it's it, it um it mimics different lens sizes on different formats. So you can go oh. in and, and pick your exact sizes mm. and then you could put them next to each other and see how the scene will play out if, with all the shots you're thinking of. That's interesting. Oh, that's yeah, that sounds so very helpful. Yeah, there's a lot of great previs apps like that. Okay. And this has become one of my favorite parts of our app segment. Our engineer, Noam, who, hey. joined, who joined our crew a little earlier this year, 
Noam, what's your favorite app? So I'll tell you something amazing because you guys need to put apps on your phone to be able to do things. But I, with my flip phone, I don't need those bells and whistles because I was taking some photos this week and I discovered I can change the exposure on my phone. You have a camera on your flip phone. I have a camera. The camera is actually not bad. I also have video. I don't know if you guys have that. I heard you guys talk about uh, photo apps. I did not hear you talk about video apps. So maybe your computer phone has a video thing. Maybe it doesn't. I know I have one. So, you know, point point (laughs) flip phone. And um, yeah, I can change the exposure of photos, which was really useful for taking something at night where I wanted the writing. Wow. They're doing amazing things on flip phones these days. I can't speak highly enough <laughs> of my Samsung phone. I was going to ask you, have you had an, Have you always been Samsung or did you start off with a Nokia? Uh, that's a great question. I definitely had Nokia at some point. I definitely played Snake. Yeah, I had. I, but then I, I broke one and then I was like, I changed to Verizon because I wanted it, like the, the widest national coverage I could get because I'm often in rural places. And then I wanted something robust, and they gave me what they recommend to construction workers. And I drop it on the floor, and it never breaks. I often think about, if you have a smartphone, uh, you must live in fear of, like, cracking the screen. That seems bad. Bad and expensive. Yeah, but I don't. You don't worry about that? No. Simple joys. Simple things. Okay. I love that. So you haven't. You can fix. You can set the aperture on your camera. Oh, on there's your so much phone. you can do. You can change the size, but I don't want to boast. I don't want to seem like I'm um, being, you know, rubbing it in. <laughs> Flip phones for everybody this holiday season. Okay, we have Jenny and Jesse here today. They are collaborators on multi-platform dining experiences that do a little bit more than just feed you food. Um, It's a very interesting idea. It's something that we're seeing more and more of. You know, you have a restaurant in in China called Ultraviolet, which is really breaking ground on an extreme level in terms of a really hyper-technical, technically enhanced dining experience. Mm Um, Jenny and Jesse are doing them as one at a time projects, much like an artist installation or an art project. But before we get into what they are doing specifically with their projects and dinners, I really think that we need to talk a little bit about what virtual reality is, because I'm willing to bet there's a lot of folks out there who kind of know, but kind of don't know especially when you consider there is virtual reality, VR, and augmented reality, AR. And they seem kind of interchangeable, and they kind of are, but they're kind of not. So let's go out first and say, tell us what they are and and why they're different, and then which ones you use best. Jesse. Yeah, I, yeah, I I can. (laughs) Because it's all visual. This is visual. Now we're in your area. I can definitely define some terms. Uh... So there's a lot of different things in that realm. Let's uh, start with probably the simplest, what people interact with first, which is 360 video. Um, so let's define by user experience. So three degrees of freedom, you can look around, up, down, um, but you're stuck in a static position. So imagine yourself, mm-hmm. like standing there and by moving your head, the range of things that you can see, that's what you mean mm-hmm. by three degrees. Exactly, yeah. But you can't look around things. You can't look around corners. Because your head doesn't exorcist all the way around. 
Uh, well, it's just you can't. There's no parallax to things. So you so, can't like see behind something by right. moving or by moving around it. The objects in front of you. Exactly. Correct. Right. If okay. I'm looking at this window and I want to see past the wall, if this was a 360 view, I would not be able to. There's right. no way for me to move the image. So right. people might be seeing this on Facebook when mm -hmm. they they've been doing some 360 photos. Are they doing video? I don't know. Yeah. They are? Yeah. Um, where you can actually use your phone um, in certain modes and essentially capture um, a 360 photo or video by by taking multiple photos or videos and stitching them together into one seamless video or photo. So if you mm -hmm. just stood in the middle of the room and you held up your phone and you moved around in a circle right. and just ca yep. captured photo or video of what you could see yes mm -hmm. that is 360 video correct yeah. and your yeah. your your sight boundary is bound by the objects and well, your position your position and how far you can see so that's mm -hmm. a very yeah. very simple and when you go to websites like the new york times they have a daily 360 yes. video where you mm -hmm. can go and look around a space and use your mouse you can have 360 video on a lot of the real estate websites, yep. mm -hmm. you know, where you can look inside apartments or hotels or, you know, Airbnb, that kind of stuff. So you can see, you know, yes. the space that you're in. And those you can usually view on a mobile phone as well as um, in some of the VR headsets, which Jesse can talk about in a second. So 360 video is also just a video. You don't need anything special. It's just it's on your yep. phone. It's on your computer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And okay. the first piece of tech or headset is usually a cardboard is what people first experienced. That was my first experience. Mm -hmm. Me it. too. Um, it's a couple dollars and it's a little cardboard thing and it has two little plastic lenses in it and it makes, um, it, uh, how would I put it? Well, one, one, it can make it stereo um, so it can give you a sense of depth. And two, it also just kind of closes off the rest of the world, so it makes you feel more immersed in the 360. So yeah. little headsets. I actually think of the um, the old school viewfinders. Mm -hmm. It kind of looks like that, yeah. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, so it's a little like cardboard or the um, 3D boxes mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now, explain what you mean by stereo, because for me, stereo relates to audio. Yes. When I think of stereo, I think of listening to music or listening to something, mm -hmm. and I think about having it left, right, and, you know, mm -hmm. stereo and then surround sound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 3D. How does that, how does stereo apply to visual? Sure. Uh, well, 3D movies, that'd be a stereo, where you're taking... Stereoscopic. Stereoscopic. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, where you're taking two image positions, or theoretically two image positions, and then the same way our eyes are, you're correcting those two images to make one and that parallax that difference between the images is what gives you a sense of depth and a sense of things being in front or behind of one another so we often forget that we have two eyes and there's they see different things mm -hmm. if you are listening which of course you are um look straight ahead of you and like cover your right eye and then cover your left eye and you'll see that the things in front of you kind of shift a little to the left and a little to the right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So stereo is just um, having two images that mimic your eyes in some way uh, to give you the sense of depth in a space. So we have 360 video, then we have stereo with the little cardboard viewfinder headset mm -hmm. thing. And then what comes next? Uh, what comes next is probably six degrees of freedom, mm -hmm. right? So um, you are, uh, the best way. so it's a, it's a 3D environment. It's a full, um, it's a full environment you can walk around. Um, so room scales are worth this thrown out a lot because you can put on certain headsets and walk around the space. And this way you do have parallax. You're, you're able to change 
your position in space and what you see. And now I am still looking at a video of a room or an actual place. Not because that's that's also a, that's also a pivot point of whether we are looking right. at an actual photo or video of an existing space or we're looking at a completely computer generated environment. Right. It depends on which how it's, it's made. Sort of also the breakpoint between virtual and augmented. Mm-hmm. I would say um, for most um, room scale six degrees of freedom experiences in VR usually the environment is computer generated. Um, I think we're trying to bridge that gap right now with a lot of technologies. um, But I at least haven't seen anything really where it feels like you're in a a completely real setting. Like you can generate a lot of uh, environments using real time photos and video, but it's not quite the same as like just being plopped into a 360 video and being able to move around, mm-hmm. you still need a lot more backend engineering to make that environment. Like, let's say if we were plopped into Roberta's, being able to walk around the tables and duck under the tables and have six degrees of freedom where you're tether- tethered to a headset, um, it's uh, the the environment probably doesn't feel quite as realistic than when you're looking at a 360 video. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair to say because the tech is so much harder because you're creating so much more, you're recreating the space as it really exists. So there's techniques to do it and to make it photoreal, but chances are it's not gonna feel as close as a 360 video would. Um, Yeah, six degrees in free would be the next step. Um, And then what comes after that? And then I guess we talk about augmented and mixed reality. Do you wanna talk about volumetric? Yeah, well, that well, yeah, six degrees in freedom is volumetric. Um, what does volumetric mean? Right, so volumetric means uh, it's the 3D space um, that it's actually, it has, um, it has volume. It has it, uh, it's, a space it's to move It's actually around. 3D. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it yes. has all the depth and width mm-hmm. and physicality. Yeah, and not to get too much into the weeds about how it's created, but like, LIDAR scanners and photogrammetry. There's techniques that you use to create a space back that you capture it and scan it and bring it back into the digital world so you can then walk around it in a VR. So you would take pictures or, I mean, in, in hyper simple terms, you yeah. would take pictures or video, you'd import them into the computer, into some program, mm-hmm. and then you Two would months later. <laughs> digitize it or start to manipulate it mm-hmm. using digital graphical enhancements and then create the volumized 3D environment from mm-hmm. a real original piece of media. Yes. Which yes. Is, okay. The goal would be a photorealistic version where it would feel like we're walking around the studio. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can do that or you can build a completely animated, you know, mm-hmm. CGI generated environment as well, like mm-hmm. a game. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. And there's any mixture of the two. Okay. Uh, and then augmented mixed reality um, is the headsets are generally reflection based. So you need a headset for augmented reality. Do you uh, need a headset? Well, can you look at it on your phone? You can do it on your phone. Yeah, yeah. there's two types, I guess. Um, I think because the most Pokemon, ba- you didn't Pokemon, you do not need a headset, and right, that is right. augmented reality, correct? Right. So right. I think that's everyone's foray into AR is uh, essentially. Games. So some sort of game where there are visuals um, that are augmented onto your uh, normal, real 
uh, view, whether it's through your phone or through your headset. Um, so Pokemon Go, you would see the Pokemon, which were, were they 2D? They were 2D Pokemon. No, they were 3D? I didn't really play. I, didn't uh, play. I don't remember. But they, you, you saw the Pokemon like on the street or on mm-hmm. your table or whatnot. Um, but I think uh, where people don't see a lot of augmented or that augmented mixed reality is where the visual items are actually have some sort like they they can feel where the what the reality looks like as well so the pokemon specifically sits on the the table and looks like it's on the table versus just kind of being like flat against the table it looks like it's like visually 3d sitting on the table occupying the same space and depth as that table and it knows where the walls are so it doesn't like go beyond the wall and that i think that's where we're pushing where we're pushing now into augmented reality and that's usually where you need some sort of headset that has um room tracking where it can see where you are and also be able to scan the depth and uh size of different objects in the room okay So augmented reality on a device or computer without headset, but to get the real state of the art, you need a headset. Yes. Okay. And when we say headset, we're talking about for your eyes, not for your ears. I think a lot of times, like Mm -hmm. if you're on an airplane, they'll say, we have headsets for purchase for $2. (laughs) They're talking about headphones, Mm -hmm. speakers to listen to things. But this, we're talking about headsets, which are... Yep. For your eyes. Mm-hmm. They sometimes have, they usually have speakers built in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah most okay. of them do. Yeah. Yeah. So then we go from virtual reality, which is a combination of a real setting with computerized, digitized, alter, other media elements put into it, but so that they all occupy the same space. Then we go to virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, oh, from augmented to yeah. virtual? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Also to point out, the headsets are different between the two. Okay, yes. that's a good differentiator. So the VR headsets that people are probably seeing a lot that are kind of funny is like, it looks like a black box or some colored box on your head. It's closed. Whereas the augmented reality ones, you have to actually be able to see out of it. Mm-hmm. So the most prominent one is the Magic is Magic Leaps 1 headset. Um most expensive one, at least. And um, and so it looks like giant goggles, kind of. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's some sort of lens that's then reflecting whatever you're trying to put onto it. Um, yeah, so you can see clear out of it, but then it's able to add these elements that know the space. For it's augmented able to reality. The space well, well, because yeah. augmented means changed or enhanced or something yeah, like yeah. that. So that's yeah. sort of, if Correct. you go with the straight up definitions of the words, that's... Mm-hmm helpful to figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. So with virtual virtual reality then, you're wearing a uh, eye headset that is completely closed off because you're looking at essentially a screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the environment that you're looking at is completely computer generated. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, if it's completely computer generated, why do I need the headset? Why can't I just watch it on a screen? I think the idea is that it's immersive. So it feels like, especially when you combine the VR headsets with some sort of um, like haptic feedback, whether it's like the chairs that move or things that touch you, um, it feels a lot. 4D in the movies. Right, kind of like those 4D movies, exactly. So instead of you being very cognizant and aware that you are at the movies looking at the screen, it feels like you're in the scene. So if you go to um, Samsung's... um, 
space in the uh, in West Village. They have various things you can try out where there's one like you're on a boat. There's one that you're in the game or you're in the movie show 24 and it feels like you're in the pilot seat, you know, driving the airplane to the rescue mission or whatever they're doing. And it like the airplane shakes and moves. So it feels very real. Um, whereas I think you wouldn't be able to like uh, draw those kind of feelings out in someone just watching it on a video. Um, that being said, there's there's um, if, uh, virtual reality is so real that they don't recommend it for kids below 12, 12, mm-hmm. um, because they were, there were some studies where children who were like six, they couldn't differentiate between what they saw in VR versus what they saw in real life because they both seemed so real. So it's a very, very different environment than watching something on your phone or at the movies. Interesting. This is a perfect break point for us to go to a commercial break and find out who our sponsors are. And when we come back, we will find out how virtual reality is great for dinner. Stay with us. This program is brought to you by Joule Sous Vide. My name is Katie Mosman Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real life Joule user. When you cook with Joule, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The Parrot app is intuitive to use and preloaded with all the recipes you'll need. And it has a great visual doneness guide. Joule is awesome for holiday cooking. It's easy to cook for a crowd and it's perfectly precise, so you can focus on entertaining without worrying about checking food temps while Joule does all the work. You can try out new cuts fearlessly. One of the best things I ever made sous vide was a juicy, tender heritage goose with juniper berries and it was life-changing. And pro tip, Joule is small and packs easily, so you can sneak it along on your holiday travels to be this season's food hero everywhere you go. With Joule, you get perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code HRN as in Heritage Radio Network to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E code HRN. And happy holidays from all of us at Team HRN. Well... If you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. Do you have a really interesting food tech product, company, startup? Are you a founder or CEO? Or maybe you just saw something on social media that you thought was amazing that we should cover on Tech Bites. Get in touch with us. We are very interactive. You can reach us by email at techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. You can find us on social media at techbyteshrn, and that is bytes, B-I-T-E-S, like food, (laughs) and with your mouth. Today, we are talking with one of my fellow Heritage Radio Network hosts, Jenny Dorsey. She hosts a show called Why Food, which will be up later today at 2 p.m. She is also the founder of Studio Atau. Yep, Atau. Okay, challenging, A-T-A-O. 
chef, author, artist, multi-platform storyteller. And she is here with her cinematographer, Jesse Sperling. And the two of them are collaborating on some really interesting multimedia dinner food events, happenings um, that use virtual reality. So we spent the first half of the show, if you missed it, walking through what exactly virtual reality, augmented reality, 360 video, what all these things actually are, in case you're wondering. I know many of you are. And then now, how, how does that, how does virtual reality fit into a dining experience where for the traditional chef, the main goal is a real life food experience using, you know, the senses of that plate of food that's in front of you. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating idea. Um, so why don't you tell us how you first put these things together? Yeah, I think the really interesting thing about virtual reality is that the crit the critiques that it frequently gets is that it's too isolationist, um, so you can't, you know, have social interactions and whatnot, um, and then it, you know, it blocks your view of the food, um, especially in a food setting. And I think, ironically, those are two of its biggest strengths. For most chefs, um, like myself, you want there's a story behind the food, and you want people to understand why the food is the way it is, why you use those ingredients, why you use these techniques, and really understand and like have a connection to it. But how many times it, do you, you as a diner, also you as a chef, you're trying to present all this to people and people just tune out. It's very rare to even get maybe 30 seconds for people to really be listening to what is going on. Even at a fine dining restaurant where people are paying $300 per plate, like I cannot remember anything I ate at some of the nicer restaurants because you're just, you know, there's a lot of things going on, the service presenting, yada, yada. Well, um, but I do think, though, that if it was a memorable meal, you would remember. <laughs> I think you remember what you ate, perhaps, but do you remember exactly the chef's story around that particular place? Sometimes I think so. I mean, I, there are meals that I remember very, very clearly from 10 years ago or 15 sure. years ago. I do think, though, that technology and people with smartphones in restaurants have created a seismic shift in the dining experience. Whether people are conscientious of it or not, restaurants certainly are. Um, the whole idea of people on their phone at the table, whether it be to document every single moment of the meal or simply to be doing whatever they do, has changed the timing of a restaurant experience. Sure. Kitchens are having increasingly more difficult times because people are taking longer to order because they're looking at stuff or they're taking pictures or they're waiting to eat their food until they take a picture and then the food is cold or they're you know doing all those kinds of things. So maybe having people focused on the meal without all of that distraction mm -hmm. is maybe not a bad idea. Yeah, so the idea is how do you really get people to really, really tune in on one specific plate or just one specific story that you want to tell them through the food? Um, and I also think that as as there's a changing of the guard in the food industry, which we can kind of talk about, as people are starting to get a lot more emotive and talk about deeper stories through their food, not just, oh, this is pretty and you should eat it, like talking about stories of immigration, talking about stories of triumph and sadness and all of that, it's not necessarily um, 
I don't think best presented in kind of like this public announcement sort of setting where many times uh, chefs are like standing in front of you either at the table or in front of a group kind of telling you about it. So I think virtual reality has been this interesting way to play with the idea of how do you compose that story in a really immersive way and get diners completely cut off from everyone else and really be able to like think about that, observe that, um, opine on that, have an interaction with your art in a kind of uh, specific time frame in a quiet time frame. So this is fascinating to me. You think that you standing in front of a diner and speaking to them directly, one-on-one, person-to-person, is less effective in communicating your story, philosophy, and what you want to communicate with the dish than having them completely closed off from any human contact and just being completely in a virtual environment? I think it depends. I think on it depends on how you're communicating and also what you're saying and also how comfortable you are with communicating. Some chefs don't like to interact with people that much or sometimes maybe they want to share a personal story but it's scary to go up into a, in front of a stranger and tell them your guts you know and tell them the, the pains that you went through this dish and what it means to you and you know you're, maybe this dish is because your mother died and it's really hard to open up in like kind of um, in that way over and over and over throughout the night. Do you think that chefs are using their food to communicate instead mm-hmm. of needing to verbalize it in a in a sort of soliloquy or monologue I verbal fashion? I think it's a fashion? balance. Like, why are there plaques at museums, right, for artists? Artists are communicating with their art, but just because the art makes immediate and instant sense to many to them or perhaps many of their followers um, doesn't mean that it makes instant sense to everyone who visits the museum. Hence why there's explanations, hence why there's, you know, when you sometimes listen to the curator's explanation of how he or she put together that exhibit, how they chose those pieces of art, how they flow together. So I think there's there's room for all of those pieces to work in conjunction with one another. So how did you come to putting them to all these elements together for the first time? Because it's not really, I mean, it's not necessarily very evident. There are not many people doing this Mm -hmm. in, in the dining setting. I mean, you have certainly elements of things like this, but not entirely. Sure. So um, as you mentioned earlier, ultraviolet and there's also sublimotion in Ibiza in Spain um, that have been doing projection mapping. Oh, we didn't define that, but we can. <laughs> um, has been doing projection mapping and kind of like and some virtual reality, at least at sublimotion. Um, and I think a lot of the VR plus dining experiences have been entertainment driven, which is fine. A lot of VR is entertainment driven right now. Um, but for me, when I was thinking about my first, I think, more immersive VR experience, which has been something called Asian in America. It explores the Asian American identity through virtual reality, poetry, food and drink. Um, I wanted to have, to be able to like parcel out these specific topics that I want to talk about through the food, through each of the courses. There's one course um, that talks about stereotypes that uh, Asian Americans put on themselves and also that we kind of um, absorb from other people. There's one course that talks about like the the white male savior model within the food industry where, you know, the white male sweeps in and takes over this cuisine and now it's cool and popular, even though it's been on the backs of so many people who've been already cooking that. Um, There's one about kind of like the implicit cultural hierarchies within different cultures, cuisines, and where we derive value from in food. Is it fancier just because it's somehow associated with France? So the, the food explores that. Um, but also the VR accompaniment is that people actually see in the virtual reality headset a brushstroke by brushstroke uh, unfolding of how their particular plate is being made. 
um, alongside audio narration from me explaining the symbolism behind the techniques, behind the ingredients, and how they kind of fit together and fall into that narrative and make sense. So I think it was a way to not only give people more depth on the dish that I might not necessarily be able to do in the middle of service, but also um, as I've hosted so many communal dinners for the fact past five years give introverts and extroverts kind of an even playing field for them to kind of like have an interaction with the art that I'm presenting to them in their own way so that they get get a little break. So is the food really incidental? I mean, it sounds like communicating these different ideas about the evolution of cuisine, the evolution of society, the different roles that different ethnicities play, um, how a person's personal uh, point of view and comfort level with the world and the public at large. Those seem to be like the the top issues. Is food just happen to be the vehicle because you happen to be a chef? How how much of a focus can you put on um, the actual food that you're eating, or is that sort of secondary? Or I think it's uh, the food. The first thing is definitely the food because they're watching the food the whole time. Then they're eating the food and they're listening to the food. There's like a, there's a lot of topics around the food that they're absorbing and probably engaging conversation with but the topics are always about food and what they're about to eat next and how that that relates to the topic so like if you just uh, took some of the dishes out and replace them with something a little bit more generic for instance there's a very specific like not really a moon cake moon cake that i serve and if you just replace it with a different dessert it just wouldn't even make sense in the context of the dinner but also in the context of the virtual reality and what they're watching because there's so many layers of why those things were picked the way they were yeah i can say going back to your analogy about plaques in a museum i've i've very often read descriptions of pieces of art and then looked at the piece of art and not understood the connection at all. And that didn't make it a good piece of art. It made a really good plaque. And the plaque was more impactful than the art. I think that's if your primer of wait, VR... Wait, 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 wait. You didn't see that, but did you mm-hmm. have no reaction? Because being impactful and communicating exactly what the artist intended are two mm-hmm. different things. You can look at a piece of artwork or you can have a dish in a restaurant and it can have a tremendous impact on you. Mm-hmm. Whether that's the end result that the chef or the artist or the painter was going for is mm-hmm. a completely separate idea. Mm-hmm. I think creating something that creates a visceral reaction and emotion in people is one thing. Hoping that they get to the place you want them to get to is mm-hmm. a different idea. Sure, and that's what a plaque or any sort of primer to an experience does for you. Um, but I've definitely seen pieces of art that had no impact on me, but then the plaque had a good impact <laughs> on me, and I was way more taken with the plaque. Um, but yeah, just to the point of like, why is the food still important yeah. in an experience I'm not like saying that. that it's not important. I'm yeah. saying my, my question, to rephrase it in a much, much simpler fashion, are you really a chef or are you just a multimedia artist where food is a component along with virtual reality, music, environment, language, politics, um, history. Yeah, I would say I'm a chef first, and then I use multimedia as a way to enhance my work. Okay, fair enough. And then how did the two of you meet and first start collaborating? Jesse, is this the first time you've, you've worked on a, a food dining experience like this? It's definitely the first time I've worked on a food dining experience, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's the first time I'd heard of one. Uh, I think... It, I. I put it at six months ago. We yeah. met and started working on, on the on our three sixty p. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so but yeah. 
Describe the project you're working on now, Hidden. We talked a little bit about it earlier this week, and it's really uh, fascinating, and I'm not going to do it justice. So I'll, I'll let the two of you. Me? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll, okay. I'll give the primer, and then I'll... Yeah. So Hidden um, was an idea, kind of a strange idea that I had with a dancer-choreographer named Kate March, who I wish it was here, but she's currently on her honeymoon. Um, and so she's an amazing kind of like interpretive dance uh, choreographer, and we wanted to do something together with immersive dining and food and dance, which she has kind of been doing on and off for years now, sometimes with food, sometimes without food. Um, and the idea with Hidden is exploring cognitive dissonance and exploring all the layers of ourselves that many times we keep hidden and using the course of an evening through both food and dance to kind of uncover and unveil those pieces. Um, and what we wanted to do with VR is use virtual reality as a bridge between what people uh, see initially and then what they kind of like literally seeing um, Kate and the, her dancers in virtual reality and then actually taking off the headset and coming into the real world and having them there as well. So being able to have kind of this interesting like from digital to real life sensation within the meal. Um, and the idea is that uh, in the VR piece that Jesse can talk about, Kate is dancing all these different dances that represent different personalities and different, you know, layers of ourselves. And in the meal experience, the different dishes would kind of mirror that. So there's a darkness character, there's a romance character, there's a jester character, um, and having the plates kind of like follow those personalities. And at the very end, um, both in VR and in person, kind of Kate kind of strips down and is is naked, not really naked, but you know, in nude, um, and has this like kind of like quiet solo dance to bring people like back to center and kind of give them give them the tools to have this like introspective moment within a communal setting yeah so we've been working together to create 360 video um which gives you a really it, it's kate dancing for you and, and all these dancers around you so it puts you in the center of it so it gives you a really personal quiet sort of experience um yeah, and we've been working to put those videos together. And what's really cool about this is that instead of um, a traditional 360 is you are, you know, you put the camera in the middle and you move around the camera. Um, what Jesse has been able to do and is working on in post-production now is we actually had Kate dance against a black, is it a psych or a mm -hmm. sick? Psych. psych. It's a psych. Okay. Um, a black psych, which is essentially a round, uh, it's like a, it looks like a seamless black backdrop. And instead of, um, you looking at Kate and seeing her against like this back backdrop, you actually see multiple Kates dancing all these different dances because we filmed all the dances separately and Jesse is stitching them into one um, seamless 360 video. So how far along in the production process are you and when will dinner be served? Oh, well, everything's been shot. We're in post-production now. So that's moving along and... Hopefully dinner will be January, February. We're looking at venues. I think the biggest, the biggest thing with this is having the venue that has the right mood has been a little challenging. So in terms of how long you will present the event, do you, what, what's the runtime of something like this? Does it just show in New York? Do you take it on the road to other cities? How yes. Does, how's it going to work? Um, so for Hidden, I guess we'll debut in New York and then we'll kind of see what the interests look like and how we want to, I think, structure it going forward. So for instance, in Asian America, um, I debuted at the Museum of Food and Drink and now that's going on tour in 2019 to different museums, um, conferences and colleges across the U.S. And I'd like to do something similar with Hidden, but perhaps as 
less museums, maybe more galleries and maybe, yeah, not universities, but maybe more of like a corporate thing uh, or a different kind of like interesting venues across the U.S. So we'll see where it goes, but it's definitely the idea to take it in different places. Kate, for instance, has been working in Asia for most of the last decade and she's presenting something in Tokyo right now, soon. Um, So yeah, it'd be great to kind of use, bridge that gap and also be able to take it somewhere international. Well, if you want to make sure you find out when Hidden is going to debut and maybe get tickets to go, you can visit JennyDorsey.com, J-E-N-N-Y. Dot co. co. Sorry. I wrote com. No Force of habit. JennyDorsey, D-O-R-S-E-Y.co, C-O. And you can follow her on Instagram at Chef Jenny Dorsey. If you want to check out Jesse's work, he you can follow him at Sperling Silver. So last thoughts on all this. Um, how long does it take you to produce something like this? <laughs> Jesse, how long does it take to produce uh, something like this? And well, then how like- many nights do you plan on <laughs> presenting the dinner? I'm just curious about mm-hmm. the return reward idea, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, just conceptually. On the production side, um, I mean, getting it together pre-production, it takes a week of figuring everything out. And then shooting can take a day. Sometimes things like take two days. Uh, then the post-production side is a number of weeks, um, two to three weeks. And Jesse's talking pretty aggressive timeline. Yeah, yeah. Like where yeah. we shot a ten-hour day with Kate after she had her her teeth removed, <laughs> her back teeth removed. Like we were, we were, yeah, working pretty hard. So you can definitely have a slightly more relaxed schedule if you want. <laughs> and then Jenny, how long does it take you to track together, you know, the food and the other pieces of the experience? Um, I think for, f- uh, for food wise, um, that's n- no different really than creating a regular menu. It's kind of like being able to think through, you know, what kind of parallels you want to draw, what symbolism, what ingredients to source. So I would say that probably takes a month on and off. Um, and then the biggest part hurdle is always finding venues, um, finding the right partners and, then trying to secure secure sponsorships um, such as trying to get like Oculus Go to come on board. That's always an ongoing project. Um, But we are fortunate that we have a pretty sticky audience here in New York. So, you know, we know we can sell the tickets. um, And so that's a good way to kind of approach venues. And what is the ticket price of a dining multimedia experience like this? Do you have a ballpark? Um, I For Hidden, I haven't decided on yet with Kate, but I would say probably in the 150 range. Um, Asian That's and American. That's not bad. Yeah. Ultraviolet is like $800 oh, a person yeah, or something yeah. like it's that, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like right? super, yeah, that's really not seven, the vibe seven, $800 a person? Sublimotion is 1500 yeah. Okay. It's crazy. So 150 sounds like a bargain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it, it's dinner and a show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, folks, stay tuned for that for 2019, and maybe when it gets up and running, we'll have... Jenny and Jesse come back and talk about it. Maybe we'll send somebody in to the experience and see what they think about that. Do a little secret shopper. Mm -hmm. That would be great. Um, And then again, if you want to hear, you know, Jenny interview people about why they changed careers and went into food, check out Why Food today at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I want to thank Jenny Dorsey and Jesse Sperling for coming on the show for demystifying virtual and augmented reality for us. I feel much better about my tech level there of understanding. I want to thank Noam, who is our engineer. Thanks, Noam. I want to thank DJ Uptown Nico for the amazing theme song, Nomad, a CPU track. If you like this, you can find him on SoundCloud and playing at venues around New York City. 
This is Tech Bytes. We are broadcast live Thursdays at 11 a.m. on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio. I'm Jennifer Leitze, and this is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.